This Future Construct podcast episode is supported by Applied Software. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and championing innovation with real world expert consultants. So visit asti.com, it's A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Future Construct podcast. I am your host, Amy Peck. And today we have Lee Christie, who's a principal at Perkins and Will. Welcome, Lee. Hi, thank you for having me. So you have a really interesting background and... I love how your bio, you know, speaks to, you know, enterprise for good from, from the very early days of your career. And I think that's really, really important. And it was before we were really thinking about it. And so I'd love to hear how you uh, really crafted your career and how you landed where you are today. Sure. Um, So, Gosh, that is, I'll try to tell you the short version of it, um, because in some ways I feel like I'm still crafting my career. Um, So I think that uh, from a young age, I liked, I liked drawing. I liked, you know, all the things that architects say that we like drawing, we liked math, we liked, you know, designing things and making things and all of that is true. But um, I think somewhere along the way, it was, it was, uh, you know, I came from a long line of sort of farmers and engineers and doers and, you know, uh, it, it kind of came, um, the planet and, you know, not everyone is, is, uh, sort of able to reap the benefits equally. And it just was kind of in the air a little bit. I grew up in Northeast Ohio and I think there was a lot of, um, jobs lost when I was growing up and, and, uh, lots of other things going on. So I think there was an in tune, uh, an in tune to kind of the ecology and food and all those, all of these sorts of things mixed with this um, what's happening downtown to Akron, which is um, the closest city. And it was this beautiful city that I, I was, you know, it was always like, oh, it's going to the city. And then one by one, like a bunch of places started closing and things like that. So with that as the context, um, I knew I wanted to do something. I didn't know what, um, but sort of came to architecture and design from the fact that I could make a difference while also having a little fun and creating something beautiful and sort of satisfying that art, art part of it. Um, so I would say over the years, what has led me to where I am now, which is leading projects that sort of operate in the middle of um, public and private um, that encompass both urban design and architecture and interiors, it's sort of full environment. Um, but the underlying principle is really looking at um, sustainability for, for humans and for the world we live in. Um, and I think what you might also be alluding to is the fact that I sit on our research board and um, I co- co-started and then still run 10 years later, our Innovation Incubator Microgrant Research Program. And that's our internal program. And those, all of those things came from the place of, I want to do this thing and I want to make this difference. And, you know, each project has its own individual special hurdle. And so how do we overcome these? And what can we start to do ahead of the game before a client asks us something so that we can be prepared to answer it and make that improvement on a project? So that's kind of where it starts with the why, but really it gets into the how. It's like we've, we've got to answer some of these questions before people are asking them or they won't get you know, fixed, I suppose. 
And so, and then also you've been an adjunct professor as well. Yes. Uh, so you've been giving back to, to the community um, really since, since day one. And, and so what, what, um, what was some of the work that you did uh, with did there? Sure. So um, I've interfaced with, I would say, the, the academic world in a few different ways. Um, the most concrete of which was um, at Woodbury University teaching design and design theory in the interior architecture department there for about six or seven years. Um, I've also been a research partner on a few things, uh, mainly around stormwater in Los Angeles. We did a, a deep dive about how to treat our infrastructure work um, better for, I would say, broader pieces of population and basically get multiple results out of the same thing. And that was, that was done through the guise of creating a tool for stormwater management. And it was a combination um, in conjunction with Woodbury University in the beginning as well. Um, and I still sit on design juries. Uh, I, I like the juicy ones. I like thesis. I like the big ones where it's like, you know, people are following their passions, but really getting in deep with a lot of um, really critical questions that sometimes we don't have the time to do in the profession. So how would you describe, I mean, you know, hearing about your background and how you, you are seamlessly able to kind of infuse this sort of higher vision in, into your work, you know, how does that manifest itself, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis and, and around a, a project? So, you know, how, how, how should companies really be thinking about, you know, responsibility and sustainability and all, all of the abilities? <laughs> <laughs> all of the abilities. Um, I think the the most difficult part is so over the last ten years I've been thinking a lot about innovation and granted it comes through the lens of a design firm for the most part but we touch so many things or so many things are influenced by us and we are influenced by them which is to say the construction industry policy you know physical gravity um, <laughs> uh, you name it it's it's kind of coming in funding as well. And so I've come to the conclusion uh, that, in, at least from my head anyway, innovation is the idea, but it's also the implementation. And so when you think about how many great ideas there are, especially, you know, I go to these student, um, uh, sit on student reviews, and this is amazing ideas, but then they're sort of stymied by the fact that there's no client to pay for it to actually, to actually do it. So it stays in an idea until you start to think about the implementation part. And so for the innovation and for how to incorporate it, I think the first thing is the awareness that to, to step back, see the big picture and be able to innovate and like really think big picture change, but to understand it's gonna take a whole bunch of tiny improvements to get there too. So don't discount one or the other. Um, I think it's a, it's a both and situation. So um, that's, that's kind of where that is, which is, it's, we look at innovation in our process, we look at innovation in the designs themselves, we look at how to incorporate and set the stage for other people to innovate. And I think that's kind of where the technology comes in as well, but, but for people to make it their own and be able to adapt in the future. So yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about, about the technology um, and, and you know, where you see technology's role in um, the way that you're designing today and are there processes that you're seeing, you know, some automation or are there technologies that, you know, help with visualization? Of course, I'm leading towards the path of, of yes. AR and VR because that's what I focus on. 
Um, but yeah. it really can be any technology. And so, you know, what's one of the trends that you're seeing in the tools that, that you're going to be using over the next few years? Yeah, well, I think uh, they, they sort of fall into buckets for me, and some have to do with our design process, some have to do with the designs themselves, like what we put out in the world, um, some have to do with how those designs get implemented, which is to say the construction, um, and then I would say the last bucket is performance. But within those four buckets, we're really looking at design performance and human experience. That's like fundamentally the underlying why of all of this. Um, because what ends up happening is there are so many technologies that are developing so rapidly in every single aspect of what I just said, it's really hard to keep up. So, you know, it's, it's about the relationships of the folks who are on the bleeding edge of AR and VR, because our responsibility is figuring out how to marry that with the actual physical environment that we sit in. So you and I are talking over a screen, but I'm sitting in, you know, my house right now. <laughs> and, and so how the virtual ends up not replacing, um, not impeding, but improving uh, the physical place that we're in is, is going to be incredibly important. From a process standpoint, obviously, you know, uh, BIM models can contain so much information. It can be a wormhole or it can be an advantage. And so once again, it's sort of starting with the why. And for us, it's performance. It's, it's performance over time and it's enabling our clients to track performance over time. What that means is what we are automating in our process is our pieces of parametric design. So um, it's not just the software, but it's sort of the workflow and how we ask questions. So we're, we know we have a relatively new tool that that we're it's not even a tool it's really a workflow you know, I love all these like very specific things but it's it came from a question it came from we know daylight is good we know plants inside in this environment are good what we don't understand is how any sort of glazing will impact the ability for the plants to grow and how to specify species it's a very specific question but what popped out of that is what are the parameters that we need to understand to support the growth? And from there, you get a script and you can actually use that on a project and another project and another project. So we've, we've automated a process, but it came from a very specific question and a very specific need. Um, we're also looking at the impact of um, robots is like the really fun way to say it, but it's really autom it's just automation and sort of prefabrication in some way, shape or form. But how that gets automated impacts how we design. So we can't design something that can't be built in a certain sort of way. And we know that there's a lot of um, controls and um, performance guarantees. That's a terrible word. My lawyer would tell me not to say that. <laughs> but uh, let's see, better, better likelihood of consistent performance How's that? There we go. That's good. There we go. Um, kind of within a, a, a controlled environment, so to speak. But then you have to look at how to design it, how to model it, um, these components. You know, mass timber is what we're talking about right now. Um, from an engineered wood standpoint, really reliable kind of structural properties. You can get into the fire properties, but it has some limitations in terms of how you get it to the site and what's happening in the... Um, the factory itself. So we use the kind of technology to help us model 
directly what will be fabricated. So this episode of the Future Construct podcast is supported by the amazing team at Applied Software. They have solutions for any modern project. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and being the champions of innovation with their real world expert consultants. They have a comprehensive suite of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing, and they have a singular focus to help you achieve higher performance. They have software, training, support, consulting, and custom development. Applied Software has you absolutely covered for all of your workflow needs. And BIM Designs is proud to be a client and partner of Applied Software. So visit ASTI.com, that is A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that Feature Construct and BIM Designs sent you. And I think that, you know, that approach in my mind is the way to leverage technology. I think we hear so much about, oh, you know, we're using AI and we're using blockchain and we're using, you know, AR, VR. And it's sort of a technology first approach, whereas what, what you're doing and what I think is, is, is the right way to do it is to think of technology as kind of a, a, a toolbox. Right. And, and when you ask the questions, you ask the right questions and then you look at then how technology might be able to solve some of those problems, I think then you get a very salient use case as opposed to, right. you know, a, a solution looking, looking for a problem right. which, which can often, often happen sometimes. So I mean, we're, we're looking at that. We're looking at that too, right? The, the, the internet of things and all the sensors and everything they're, they're out there, they're multiplying and okay. You know, we're at least me personally, I'm doing a little bit of catch up in terms of no, but really what do we need and how can we use these? So there is a back and forth and I think it's a dialogue. And I think, I, I think that's, that's going to be an amazing, we're in a very exciting time, even though, um, our heads can be spinning sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very hard. I mean, you said something that I think is very true. It's that all this technology is coming so quickly. It's really, really hard, even if you're in the space to stay on top of, you know, your own, the own, you know, the technology that you're actually following and using from a day-to-day basis, let alone, you know, other burgeoning technologies. Um, and I think that we're at this, this point where we need to, like with sensors, for example, that you just brought up, we know we're going to need the data somehow, but we just yes. don't know necessarily how we're going to use it. And yet it's sort of expensive to just hold on to it for, for a rainy day. Right. Um, so it's a, I think it's a bit of a, a, a balancing act. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the, the territory we're exploring right now is which ones actually make sense. I think, I think from, from the design profession standpoint, um, there's two things kind of, I don't know if they're working in our favor or against us, but they're working. And one is, um, I don't know the novelty of it all, um, and and kind of maybe maybe folks don't know exactly what they need, but their part their their colleague needs it or their competitor needs it, and therefore I need it, but I don't know what to do with it. And you know these things, the bells and whistles go in, and then it, you end up maintenance doesn't know what to do with them in the end. So there's there's this learning curve that we're all in together. But I think the second thing is that that at the moment. Generally speaking, the um, pace of construction um, does not marry the pace of product development. And particularly, um, you know, the pace of, if we're being truly sustainable about it, a 50, 100 year building will need to modify to technology we've never even heard of yet. So it becomes this conversation about what's the backbone? What is the, what is the sort of host structure that you need in there? 
and then the systems will come and go. Sensors can get added or taken away, but the setup is there. And I think the important thing about where the sensors can take us is we model, we're modeling energy all the time. We're modeling water all the time, but it's very, very difficult um, to go back and track it sort of without this automatically uh, factored into to what we're building. And if we're going to get to uh, some sort of control over our carbon footprint and all of this, we, we need to know. But you're right. We don't need to know more than we need to know <laughs> because we won't know what to do with it. Yeah, and we don't know quite quite what to do. And I guess it's, it's sort of, um, you know, I've been using the expression working backwards from the future mm-hmm. where you have to kind of think about building sort of, a, you know, something that's modular and extensible when you don't necessarily know what all the moving parts will be in the future. I mean, if you yeah. think about what has happened in technology over the last 20 years, and now it's going to happen most likely over the next five years, right. uh, you know, sort of an ex- at, an, at an exponential pace. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it poses some challenges, but also some, some really great opportunities. And yeah, and I think when I bring up the pace, I, I think the pace of our profession, um, I think we're picking up, but I think we probably need to pick up faster, like as a whole, which is to say the learning curve. So um, by the time someone tries something, some technology, some sensor, some process, um, one, of the, one of the things I've been focused on is closing the feedback loop, because I don't want someone to repeat a mistake I've already made. Um, it's, it's about improving it and about making it kind of physically better out in the world for humans. Um, and the technology is a means to, to create that environment. So do you do a lot of this work? You know, you talked about the incubator a little bit. So mm-hmm. um, perhaps we could circle into that and kind of look at some of the companies that you're working with. And what are the, what are the types of companies that, you know, you're drawn to, um, you know, for, for the incubator and, and you know, yeah. maybe share some of the ones you're particularly excited about? Well, so the, the, um, the incubator program itself is actually an internal program to Perkins & Will. We do inc- encourage um, partnering. Um, which is to say, this is about sort of the democratization of innovation because we have our research efforts, which I we sort of call capital R research, um, that are true kind of deep dives. The Innovation Incubator is based on this micro grant concept where innovation can come from anyone. And it's about following passions. It's a little bit of both, which is to say, um, following passions and seeing where they take you. And also I have a problem and I want a specific solution for it. So it sort of hits on both ends of the the innovation spectrum that I spoke about, some implementation, some ideation. Um, Having said that, a lot of the successful teams or individuals do partner, um, obviously quite a bit with engineering firms um, that we've worked with over the years about building better tools for us to to design collaboratively in a high performance way. Um, We have uh, partnered with some uh, technologies or really it's about a technology and then how do we how do we embrace that? So we just granted uh, one project last week. We just went through our spring cycle. I'm very excited about them. Um, but one is this question of how we work together over video. Um, and 
they're going to be building a, a takedown, put up kind of screening room in the studio, in our Washington DC studio, that is going to test out a series of ways to marry the, v, the VR, the AR with the physical presence. It's when the majority of the team can be there, but maybe not the whole team. And then how do you share that with clients? Technology is out there. It's about how to absorb it into the space. And I can tell you our workplace clients are really interested in how that's gonna go for us so that we can give them advice on how it can go for them. Oh, that's great. That's great. I, and I, we can talk offline about this, but I can definitely help you there. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, so, so, I mean, that, you know, that's sort of a, a, a true culture of, of innovation. And, and do you feel that that um, really, I don't know, just helps you know, everyone at, you know, Parkinson will just sort of feel like they're, they're part of the future of the company. Yeah, I, I do. And not only the, the, the company, but sort of the greater conversation about the role of design, how we design and what we design, and, and by extension, the built environment. So yeah, I think it's, it's important that when we did create the program in 2010 is when we launched, um, the mission wasn't necessarily innovation in and of itself. The goal was creating a culture of innovation. And so within that context, this is why we didn't do kind of a skunk works like off to the side doing deep dives. Um, this was very much about anyone can research this particular question that they come up with. We would like it to be relevant in some way to, you know, the work that we do, but that relevancy can take a broad, um, a really broad definition of relevancy. So yeah, we've, we've definitely, we've had folks come to the company specifically citing that as um, one of the things that they liked best. And I do, we get a lot of positive feedback. I think, you know, if I had to say just in general about innovation, kind of where the, where the challenge is, is the ideas, at least, at least for us in the design profession, we got, we got 10,000 ideas. The, the trick is getting it over the hump and into implementation. And so, um, you know, a true incubator would, would kind of foster that and, and kind of do some beta testing and some iterations. And sometimes we have time for that. And, you know, the thing is, though, we kept these grants small because it's kind of okay to, to fail too, because we learned something. And that's where it becomes about closing the feedback loop to make sure that other people are building on whatever it is we're doing. Yeah. And someone may take one of those, you know, quote unquote failures and have a completely new take on Absolutely. it and be able to, to start here as opposed to down here. Um, just well, and ironically, yeah. And ironically, what, you know, a couple of the ones over the years, cause we've been at this long enough. Um, one of them was about um, occupancy sensors and higher education. And it, you, you know, it was going over Bluetooth and this is like six years ago. And the conclusion is, bad. the tech isn't there. Well, now <laughs> the tech is there. And so it's kind of like we already have an idea of ways that this could be employed to help. Um, and, I, and I remember one of our first ones was um, someone was using open source technology to put together a 3D printer. And that's everywhere now. Yeah. So there's this real balance of trying to figure out ways to um, embrace the technology and learn with it and create it. Um, and then sometimes it's about testing where we are and saying, well, not yet, but let's look, let's look again next year. 
So from a design perspective, um, it's funny that you mentioned 3D printers because there are companies who are doing 3D printed cars or 3D printed, you know, tiny homes. Um, You know, do do you see us heading in that direction or do you think it'll simply be just another element of, of how you think about design? I think, um, I think there's a few things I, I actually just read last week, maybe possibly last week um, about uh, a company, of course, whose name escapes me. And they're trying to use wood particulates instead of plastic particulates. Cause we're, we are very invested in material health as well. I, we, what we don't want to do is get so enamored with a certain technology that actually in the end is like reversing some of the other things that we're, we're putting into priority. So I think there's still some questions around 3D printing and its effectiveness, but I suspect we'll get there. I tend to think it's going to be a um, component, as prefab will be a component. It's not to say nothing will ever be built on a site. Um, So I think you mentioned tools earlier. These are all tools in the toolbox. And um, part of our role, ever, ever more so, actually, is coordinating which tools to use when to the most effective purpose and ultimately to create better spaces for us to live in. So I think keeping that ultimate goal in mind is incredibly important because there's so many factors that go into the creation of those spaces. And so when you're focused on kind of the, the, the human factors right, in, in, in design, how is that evolved, you know, over certainly since the beginning of your career, but has has been fast tracked over the past couple of years. Um, What are some of the things that, you know, are must haves now that maybe were just nice to have a few years ago? Right. Well, I think um, I'm pleased to say that uh, it seems that almost everyone understands the importance of daylight. Um, That was not always the case. Um, when I, you know, got out of school and we were looking at workplace design in the 90s or whenever that was, um, that wasn't the highest priority. It was, it was very much about, okay, I think it was left over from the 80s or the 50s or whoever, who, who knows where it was left over from. I'm, I know people do, but um, where it, it was more about moving up in a company and daylight equated some sort of seniority, right? Um, But I think now understanding the correlation between health and even for a sort of profit-driven business, the the correlation between healthy employees and their happiness, which equates to their productivity, which creates, you know, equates to like less sick days. So understanding the sort of virtuous cycle that goes along with that, doubling with the fact that it creates a more resilient, sustainable building because you're using less energy, like these kind of system interactions, I think, are becoming more common and more and more understood, which I think is an amazing thing. Um, you know, occupancy sensors are now standard and actually in the code most of the time. So I think there's been a, a, a graduation of, of that aspect. Yeah, I think even things that are as simple as like, you know, Nest, you know, knowing when there are people in, in the, the environment and yep. the lower the temperature and then if the room is empty to raise it and just sort yep. of understanding these very simple incremental changes can really have a tremendous right. effect. Right. And so that kind of takes us, you know, for a little further into the future. So I'm going to ask you the question that I, that I ask everyone. 
uh, which is, so if you project yourself, you know, 15, 20 years in the future, and you can, you know, bring with you, you know, any service or, or product that just makes you personally, you Lee personally happy and makes your life better, what would it be and what would it do? Well, um, you know, I sort of, I sort of have two answers for that. One that I jokingly gave you before is whatever makes kind of our transportation and getting from point A to point B much better. I'm fully supportive of that. And we're, you know, looking at a bunch of options for that. But um, I think the second answer is particularly as the virtual environment um, becomes, once again, another tool for us. um, The thing I miss most is smell uh, as a human experience sense. So um, it's kind of you know, a picture of pizza is not the same as a smell of pizza. And I'm not saying I necessarily want fake sm- pizza smell. I want to figure out how to get the pizza smell in my apartment from your kitchen. So that's what I, that's what I want. Well, well <laughs> it's funny you should say that because that is out there. And yeah. um, the, a woman who is, uh, you know, one of the, uh, you know, early pioneers of virtual reality, Jackie Mori lives uh-huh. in Los Angeles and she has a product called Scent Collar. So I will be introducing Excellent. the two of you. Um, very excited. She's been thinking about this for a very long time. And you're right, because you think about, we have these um, virtual environments that speak to us visually. And then mm-hmm. we figured out, oh, well, we need spatial audio. Oh, yep. well, and we need haptics for the sense of touch. And then the last thing, the last thing. The, the and, sense of smell. You know, I can't quote a, a, a research study on this, but I feel like I have read that, you know, the thing, one of the things that sticks the most in terms of memory is the smell as a trigger for memory. And so it's sort of like we're, we're living in such sterilized environments to a certain extent when we're, when we're interfacing like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Very cool. Well, the, the, that's going to be much sooner for you than. I know. I love years, that. So that's the good news. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And um, I look forward to seeing the whole thing done, I guess. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. It will be soon. Thanks, Amy. Thank you.